The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is A to Z Healing Toolbox, tips and tools for navigating grief and trauma, I am your host, Susan Hannafin McNabb, social worker, educator, and author of the five-time award-winning guidebook, A to Z Healing Toolbox, a practical guide for navigating grief and trauma with intention. Together on this podcast, we will discover 26 powerful action-based tools and resources that will counter the negative effects of grief and trauma while assisting us in increased healing of the mind, body, and spirit. In each podcast episode, we will hear from inspirational guest experts in the fields of traumatic loss and bereavement, medical practitioners, mental health therapists, best-selling authors, spiritual leaders, nonprofit founders, and everyday individuals who are learning to live in the light despite profound darkness. Thank you for joining me. A to Z tips and tools are yours to integrate on your personal road to healing. Healing Tool D, doing your homework. Knowledge is power by francis bacon welcome to the a to z healing toolbox where we will be discussing tips and tools for navigating grief and trauma this particular podcast episode is focusing on doing our homework during grief and trauma and what that means exactly because we are exhausted when we are moving through grief and trauma our guest today is my good friend tom nishioka who is a widower and parent living in northern california he is an investor with an mba and his interests include psychology, music, snorkeling, cooking, and carpentry. He's currently working on a memoir of essays around community and organizing during a terminal illness. And Tom really describes so well the importance of doing our homework when we're in a profound loss experience or crisis. And he actually was so kind enough to write about this in the A to Z Healing Toolbox book. So I'm just gonna share with you what he wrote about doing your homework. My homework was to find resources, reading, 
talks, groups, videos, or movies, counselors, clergy, meditation, somatic work, or whatever else it was where I felt I could approach what had happened both during and after my wife died of cancer. I took those resources in when I could, but unlike homework from school, this grief homework is different. Number one, homework should not be interpreted as the pressure of an assignment or a syllabus. It should just feel like something that interests or helps you. Number two, you should put it down when you don't feel like doing it. If you want to sleep, sleep. Number three, you don't have to finish any book with this homework. Number four, you can get other people to do some of it for you. And number five, it should feel like a refuge, learning, a space where you can breathe and take time to cope by listening to others. So I'd love to welcome Tom Nishioka onto the podcast. I cannot wait to dive in to all of the resources that you have found and uncovered in your nine years of living with profound loss. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Of course. It's great to be here. I thought we'd start with a little story about how we met. That was through Soaring Spirits International, a regional group that was here in San Diego. I think it was in 2013. Or late 2013, early 14. Okay, somewhere yeah. around there. I So Soaring Spirits International has regional groups all over North America and Ireland. And they're just, for those of you who don't know, they are peer support groups. So we'll meet for dinner or coffee or go walk the zoo or, you know, anything fun like that. I started a group here in San Diego in 2013. And in late 2013 or 14, Tom walked in for a dinner. I don't remember where we were, what restaurant, but I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, this guy's my age and he's got kids who are Jacob's age. Jacob was five when his dad died. So he was six, I think, when we met. And it's been a great friendship ever since. And so I thought, I got to get this guy on the podcast because you've got so many tips and tools to share with the listeners about specifically doing your homework during a grief or trauma experience. Yeah. So about 13 years ago, my late wife was diagnosed with a very unique and tough subtype of breast cancer. I've had lots of friends who had breast cancer and are totally fine. But in our case, we did about three years of continuous treatment while raising toddler twins. And my wife died about 10 years ago. So being a solo dad with a full-time job and elementary school twins, I moved cross country to San Diego to be near a family member and to get a better work-life balance. Uh, and then I moved again about five years ago to the San Francisco area. I had lived for about 25 years in a big city on the East Coast, and I had many connections and resources during the years I was taking care of my wife and family and in the year after she died before we moved. And then when I moved to San Diego, I thought, okay, this is a fair-sized city. Let me do some research and connect to resources um, like grief support groups or therapists or family cancer support organization like Cancer Care or Gilda's Club back on the East Coast. And I was a little surprised to find that there wasn't so much support. And what was there was often linked to a church. 
I'm a fan of some aspects of some religions, but I'm not religious. I'm a secular person. So, you know, discussing the will and plan of a God is not something that works for me. I really do believe in the positives that we find in community with other people. So, you know, I went to a couple of grief groups. I, I went to a couple of other meetings, saw this uh, meeting for a group called Soaring Spirits. And it was great because it was just it, it didn't have anything to do with anyone's uh, spiritual beliefs. It was just community. It was just people getting together and talking. You know, as we as we get into talking about doing your homework, one of the things that I would say is homework isn't just looking, isn't just reading. It's it's talking to people. It's meeting people. Uh, doing your homework is looking outside for resources outside of yourself, and those resources can be in the form of conversations. Or like in our case, going to the zoo with our kids and just chatting about what was going on in our lives. I have a question for you about gender differences in grief, but just basic gender differences. Because I've heard from so many men that they don't go outside to look for resources. They're gonna handle it themselves. And then maybe eventually months or years down the road, they'll get involved with a group or they'll meet somebody and chat with them. But it seems like you immediately went out when Alex was sick and after, I mean, you were really pounding the pavement for lack of a better word for resources. So is that an individual thing? Is that something other men do? Or is that a Tom Nishioka thing? Oh, it's certainly something that other men do. This is something that I think a lot about and, and I'm writing a little bit about to try to sort of pull apart the, the, the self-talk that's going on inside you know, people's minds and, and what's going on emotionally for them when they decide that they're going to just stay quiet about something, not talk to other people, not look outside for resources. To me, I've taken on a number of challenges in my life, and it always makes sense to me to get a second opinion or a third opinion or a fourth opinion, particularly when you're dealing with difficult things. You know, trying to do it all yourself just seems like a risk, you know, and maybe it works out. But uh, to me, if the option is, hey, I can learn from a bunch of other people, some of whom have more experience or greater expertise or research insights, then I'm going to avail myself of resources and expertise and experience so that I can do a better job of what I'm doing. And that applies to business. It applies to investing. It applies to parenting. And so and grief is a is a tremendous stress and a particular type of challenge but it's the same it's the same thing to me that's how you live that's how one should live their lives i love that you put grief in the same bucket or grief homework right in the same bucket as research for anything else for business for buying homes for anything because we don't always have the answers right yeah yeah you learn from mentors you know, and that's why, yeah, it, it can be, re it can be reading books. It can be um, websites, discussion boards, I think can be very, very good, but also just talking. And it can start with talking to friends, talking to people who you feel comfortable talking to. And then you just, you know, it's basically business networking. You talk to one person and you say, do you know anybody else who you think I maybe should talk to? 
Yes. And then they refer you to somebody and then you're talking to friends of friends and you, you can gradually grow a community that has insight and expertise around any question, in this case, grief. It sounds also like you were doing this while Alex was sick, because I've known you long enough to know that you guys had a huge support network when Alex was sick and the girls were small. Can you speak to that a little bit? Like, how did that network come to be? Yes, we did have a, a very large network. It started just with our friends. And both Alex and I have always been social and always had a fairly large friend group. Also, Alex was a uh, PhD in psychology and did quite a bit of reading and research herself on the positive impacts of community and friendship. And there are many um, to one's emotional health, but also one's physical health. People, people actually recover from illness faster um, when they have more social connections. So we very consciously, we naturally throughout our lives had friends. And then as we got married and had kids, you know, it's harder to, to keep up friendships because you're spending a lot of time just dealing with your toddler's, you know, tantrums. We took a very uh, conscious approach. And, and one of our older friends, a woman who was in her 70s at the time, um, said, you know, as she's as I've observed people over their lives, I think when people get married and they start to think that, well, we deal with things within the family or these are family secrets that we're not going to talk to other people about, then. Um, they, that's when close friendships start pulling apart because what makes close friendships when you're young, you're teenagers, you're in college or your early twenties or whatever, you're sharing so much with your friends. You know, you have a breakup and you are emotionally distraught and you just keep talking to your friends about it to try and feel better. She said that makes for close friendships, right? You, know, you have to measure your vulnerability. You have to, you can't just dump on people and, you know, you, you have to do it with a certain amount of skill, but doing that makes for close friendships because you share with people, then they feel they can share with you. And suddenly you're talking about intimate or, or I don't know, you're just talking about things that really matter to you. And if you don't do that, then you end up talking about, you know, more superficial things. And then the friendships don't feel as close. So we knew this before there was ever any cancer diagnosis. We believed this. Uh, uh, we, we heard about this and we believed it. And we said, okay, you know what we're going to do? We are going to specifically think about being close with people and sharing with people. There's no family secrets. There's no secret. And that's, you know, to me. I love that. So when, when Alex, when she was diagnosed with cancer, some people... And I, I actually understand for some people, it, it is appropriate for them to say, you know what, I don't want to talk about this with other people. I just want to deal with it on my own. I think mm -hmm. there are rational and emotional reasons for doing that, that are fine. But for us, we said we have twins and we need a lot of help and people are offering help. We're going to organize. Um, and we did a, a private website that we programmed ourselves for 150 people. And we had every bit of help and everyone knew updates um, whenever we had them about news about what was going on, because we felt like it's not private, you know? We'll talk about it in a certain way, 
medical updates, there's nothing like to be ashamed of. It's what's happening. And it helps people to know where you're at. Right. You know, one of the previous podcast episodes was on organizing your supports and how to organize people in your life. And you said you had 150 people connected offering help. So what kind of help were they giving you? Were you specifically saying, okay, we need someone to take the girls between eight and 12? Did you lay it out there for them? Or did they just come and say, hey, we're here for whatever? So I think a lot about this It's just almost like a different or separate subject. But we appointed captains, almost like managers, it was like we were running a business in a way, we had managers for different categories of help. So childcare was one, medical appointments was another, um, research was one. And I, we had 150, I don't know, it could be more people. Some of them were in India. Some of them were in France or in California at the time. They, we could have them help because they were doing research. They were doing things that could be done remotely. And so all we would do, we had about five or six captains. If we had a... Uh, a an issue that we needed help with, we would go to that captain and we'd say, here's what we need. That captain would then email this, their sub list of people who had signed up to help on projects like that. And they would then arrange everything and do all the scheduling and logistics. So you all, wouldn't have to. Right. All we would get was, okay, here's the help. So if it was, we need someone to to, to go to the medical appointment next Thursday at 10 a.m. That was it. That captain would then go talk to 15, 20 people, wow. field all the emails. And then, then we'd get an email saying, hey, this is Claire. I'm going to come with you and I'm going to drive you. It, helps, it, helped a, it helped a ton. Now, do you think I'm listening to that process and I'm thinking, you know, can that sort of process be transferable to someone who's in a grief or trauma experience themselves? Could they realistically have, you know, captains for, okay, childcare, captains for driving, captains for legal issues, captains for whatever? And how, how would you? suggest yes. somebody go about doing that when, as we both know, when you're in a grief or trauma experience or crisis of any kind, sometimes your head is spinning. How would that look? You absolutely can. I will say, I, I want to, whenever I tell people this, I want to be careful and not make them feel like they have to do this. And you don't have sure. to do, you don't have to do all of it. Um, but I think the, the, the ways that you start it are, you just reach out to your two best friends and you ask them if they have some time to help you think about this and help you create a, a, a structure. And then there are some, you know, pre-existing formats, care pages, or I've seen meal train is now one that, that, that people are using, um, for organizing or at least messaging some help and particularly just around meals. But if you then have those two best friends talk, help, and then you write emails. And yes, in a grief situation, just like when there's a cancer diagnosis, lots of people will compassionately say, let me know if I can do anything. And so what you answer then is, thank you. If you would send an email to my best friend, Jackie, then she will let you know about how you can help. As soon as they say it, 
you give them a, an email to go to. Okay. So you're triaging, right? So that you're not personally dealing with it all. Yes. And you're, you're also sort of getting them signed up. And then, you know, Jackie would send a standard form email. Thanks so much for your offer to help. We're looking for help in these categories. And let's say in a grief situation, it, it could be, it could be childcare. It could be research uh, help for resources and support groups. It could be grocery shopping, could be house, like house upkeep. Uh, it could be legal advice. We had all of this. We had lawyers. We had people cooking, people shopping, people doing research on medical issues, like everything. And they found for me, they found this organization, Cancer Care, that does free counseling. And this was for cancer, for caregivers and families undergoing cancer. They didn't really track after uh, someone okay. died, but there are resources out there. And so that's how you can get it set up. And that's how when people offer, you know, that way you don't have to think about it and like, oh, who offered? I saw, I saw, you know, Aton on the street and he offered, now I should get back to him. Right when they say it, you say, you know what? Great. Email Jackie at gmail.com. Wonderful. You've been talking about a lot of, you know, this organization while your wife was sick. Then you at some point moved across the country with you two girls to be closer to family. How did you manage doing your homework and finding supports and doing the research and all the things in a new city with your kids without a spouse or partner with you? So I would say that I did quite a bit of this before we moved, actually. So we moved uh, just, uh, just about a year after my wife died. When I came to San Diego, I felt pretty much on my feet. I, I was surprised. I didn't realize until reading a grief book later that leaving your home and moving cross country can cause grief in and of itself. Right. <laughs> so so I, I didn't realize that I was stepping into another sort of, you know, big stress, almost traumatic kind of stress. I was fairly on my feet, um, but I did, I, I knew from my experience in New York where we had, um, I had been going to a, a bereavement uh, group weekly. I had a free uh, weekly uh uh, counseling session with another organization. My daughters were going to a kids bereavement group. You know, we had already had a wealth of resources given to us about parenting. Okay. One one of my friends, one of my friends, mom happened to be a uh, social worker who had spent her entire forty year career counseling families through a death in the family. So she was like, you can hear some books, hear some pamphlets, here are the here are the principles. We had, you know, a friend who was also a, a, a therapist who worked in the same area, a psychologist. And so I had accessed a lot of that resource and done a lot of reading before I came to San Diego. But the process was, you know, just what I what I talked about, talking to friends, doing a little bit of Google searching, reading online reading some books and repeating the process. And when I came to San Diego, 
I just wanted to get more in-person touch base, touch points. And so that's where Soaring Spirits came in. And I did go to a couple other uh, meetings as well. Well, I'm glad you showed up, Tom. Otherwise, yeah. I never would have met you. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Really glad. So as you were talking about reading books and you read a book about uh, grief and how moving across the country or move, making a big move, right, could be traumatic in itself. I was remembering a conversation we had about, you know, both of us are very into gathering resources and learning about whatever the situation is. And you picked up a book by Pima Shojan. <laughs> Do you remember this story? Yeah. <laughs> And um, and what I remember is, and you can correct me, but you thought, okay, well, let me let me get into some more like Buddhist philosophy or like how can this help me? Because you know we love Pima, right? We love Pima. But at some point, you threw the book across the room, and you were like, Pima, you don't understand. And it made me think that just because we're out looking for research, we may not get everything we need right away, we may get something we need two, three, five years from now, and it's okay to throw a book across the room or, or close it and put it over there. Can you speak to that at all? Like, were there any other than Pima Chodron book that didn't help you at that point in time? Were there any other things that you uncovered that were, that were either really helpful or just kind of surprising? By the way, I was swearing uh, when, I, <laughs> when I threw the the Pima Chodron uh, book. Um, so I guess what I would say, and, and, and this is what, for doing your homework, I want people to understand that it's not a course. It's not like school. First of all, it's not homework. It's not something that, you know, you should feel like, oh, I have to do this. You should only, you should do things that make you feel better. You should be reaching looking for things. And if you feel better when, when you read them or you listen to them, podcasts and so on, then that's, that's a good path. If it's not, throw it, swear at it, just put it down. Honestly, to, to, to your point of question, was there something that didn't work for me then and um, you know came back? I don't know and I don't think so because the things that didn't work for me, I just threw. I just got rid of them. Like I didn't come back to them, yeah. you know? And it, it, it's occurred to me that it's sort of like grief is a stress, right? Loss is a stress. And, and trauma in, in general is, is defined as a stress which overwhelms your normal coping skills. And I thought about it. If you stressed a hundred people with not a traumatic stress, but something you know, stressful. You said you have to fast for five days. You can't eat anything for five days, right? At the end of the five days, you say, okay, now you can go eat, go eat whatever you want. What those people would eat would depend on their cultural backgrounds, their, their own tastes, their experiences and, and, and biases, even their beliefs about food, beliefs about what's healthy, what's, what's good. And so some people might eat a steak, some people might eat tofu. Some people might have, you know, like oatmeal, something comforting. Like it's everything, what, what satisfies you after, you know, fasting is going to be different for each person. And it's the same way when you're dealing with a stress like grief. What works for you is particular to you. And that's why there's no one path through grief. Yes, and, and, and that's why you just pick up resources. And, and I, I, I can't tell you, and I don't think anyone really can tell you, you know, 
what to do. And that's frustrating for people because they're like, I feel terrible. I want to know what is the path and when does this end? Because I want to measure my progress and I want to know I'm making progress. And isn't there a handbook or guidebook for grief? I mean, come on. Right, right. And there are. It's just there's like a thousand of them. And that's appropriate that there's a thousand of them. You just have to go find the one that makes you feel better or makes sense to you when when you read it or when you access the materials. And that's that's the process. I love that. And to your point, that's the whole reason there are 26 tools in the book and that we talk about on this podcast, because there's not one way to do this. People gravitate toward different things. But if doing your homework and gathering resources and looking for community is one way that some people navigate, then that's what we're talking about here. So important, all the different ways. Yeah. Yeah, we have a few minutes left. Um, and I know that you are currently writing and gathering materials and kind of doing doing a different kind of homework for your girls who are now mid teens got to love that age. So yeah. what what are you doing? I'd love for listeners to hear about what what's happening right now in your life, as far as continuing gathering resources for your kids. So once again, I'm looking outward into um, our community, doing some reading, you know, parenting through grief. Um, some of the principles that, that we learned were to be truthful, to think of how you're saying what you're saying and, and, and sort of match it to the age appropriateness, but tell the truth. And so uh, one of the things that I'm doing is being very specific and thoughtful about how to teach the girls coping skills so that when they deal with stress, you know, whether it's stress in school or it comes to be stress about a job or stress about a relationship, or if they deal with loss in their life, how do they, how do they deal with stress? And I've been reading a couple of great books by uh, an author, psychologist researcher named George Bonanno, who's at uh, Teachers College at Columbia University. And one of the things that he has he he does his his career is spent on research on grief and trauma. Oh, interesting. And he has a, a couple of great books, and um, he he says. There's no one path. There's no set of characteristics that allows people to be resilient um, through grief. But all that we have been able to find is that if people have a lot of coping skills, they have a broad repertoire and they're able to be flexible and use and, and switch between them on different days or in different weeks or different months that helps people, the people who do that show the most resilience. And so, you know, there are, there are different kinds of coping mechanisms. Some are adaptive, some are uh, sort of defensive, like denying or compartmentalizing. Some are transformational, um, but, and, and all of these can be good. Like it can be good to deny. It can be good to compartmentalize. That's a, that's a good coping skill for a certain time. And then when you feel like it's not working or something else would work better, then you put that aside and you stop denying and you, you know, start 
doing maybe a cognitive reappraisal coping mechanism. So that's what I'm doing now is, is laying out a bunch of coping skills and trying to teach my daughters. These are, here's, here's a, you know, menu of different ways that you can approach stress. Part of it is compartmentalizing. Just think about building these skills and practicing them and then using them variously at later points in your life. I actually took a little bit of a part in your your project because Tom was talking about one of the coping schools being exercise and getting out in nature. So I got to do a little 10 minute video for Tom's girls on how I've used exercise and being out in nature in my life always, but more specifically in the last nine years since Brent has died. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I think this is one I'm going to go back and listen to quite a few times because I, I always get nuggets of, of really cool information when we talk and I'm sure everyone else will too. Can you share again before we go the name of the researcher from Teachers College at Columbia University and then his books? Yeah, his name his name is George Bonanno, B O N A N N O. I love resources and information and any tips and tools that we can give you. That is what we're here for. Books. Yay, I know I have a huge bookshelf behind me, but I always like to see what you're reading and um and and maybe even throwing across the room. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um so uh, he, he has two books. One is called The Other Side of Sadness, What the New Science of Bereavement Tells About Life After Loss. And then his second book is The End of Trauma, How the New Science of Resilience is Changing How We Think About PTSD. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing those resources. And um, if somebody says to me, hey, how do I get a hold of Tom Nishioka? Is that a possibility? Or should they email me to get to you? Yeah, I think probably email you to get to me. I'm actually, I, I try to keep sort of a low profile. So. I know you do. <laughs> That's why I'm asking, <laughs> hey, what's your website? Tom don't have a website. Right. <laughs> But if you want to chat with him, you can email me, Susan at A to Z Healing Toolbox.com, and I can connect you with Tom. Excellent. Thanks so much, Susan. A to Z Healing Toolbox offers professional trainings, live and virtual workshops, podcast interviews, healing guidebooks, speaking engagements at conferences nationwide, small group virtual support and solo sessions individually tailored to meet your unique needs. Books can be found on the A to Z Healing Toolbox website, on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, and your local bookstore. If you would like to connect with Susan and join a small group for virtual support or schedule a solo session, please contact Susan at a to z healing toolbox.com. Hi, I'm Liz Winter and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. 
On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.